Hello and welcome to NFL First and Goal, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Eric Allen, the former NFL cornerback. On today's podcast, we'll focus on the key matchups across the league, spotlighting the divisional game between the Lions and Vikings with Pete Bursich from KFAN and the Minnesota Vikings Radio Network. But let's kick off the podcast with our NFL insider. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, always a pleasure. We appreciate you taking the time. The Steelers beat the Ravens today. Baltimore has lost three consecutive games. What can you tell us about John Harbaugh's job security heading into the bye week? Yeah, yeah. as it was explained to me, and I talked about this this morning on our pregame show, uh, it's a little tenuous, uh, and you know he is, he is certainly on the hot seat. He is being watched closely by management, and I would say there's there's certainly some pressure on him. And you know, as it was described to me, a uh, midseason firing would be a little bit of a surprise. But you know, you go into the bye week, lose of three straight, losing to your rival, um, they're going to look at everything. And you know, I would expect Harbaugh to do the same. You know, does he, for instance, change out offensive coordinators? Does he? Um, you know, look to mix Lamar Jackson and uh, you know into the mix a little more. I mean, there's a lot that they can do. Um, I would be surprised if they made a move with Harbaugh himself, but I do know there certainly is frustration inside the organization. And at the end of the year, uh, this is a team that needs to go to the playoffs, or we're probably looking for a new coach. And how how much and how easy pushback wise if they start to insert. Uh, the, the quarterback and kind of start to, you know, trying to find a way to get the future. We're yeah, talking I, about potentially I, Lamar Jackson getting more playing time. You know, I think uh, if they were to do it, it would be dramatic because, you know, Joe Flacco has been the franchise quarterback and I think that's been clear, led them to the Super Bowl. But I mean, it's, it's obvious his performance has been fine. Uh, but when you're taking up that much of the salary cap, it needs to be extra special. And, He's been just kind of average. And, you know, if they wanted to mix Lamar Jackson in more, um, I don't think anybody would, would argue. I mean, even Joe Flacco knows that the team is not winning. They've lost three straight. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine that would be one option kind of going forward for Baltimore to say, all right, you know, we love Flacco, but we drafted this guy for a reason. And we're going to really play him. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would look for look, the defense is great. They deserve to be better as a team. So they're going to look at all options. Chatting with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Be sure to check out his podcast, Rap Sheet and Friends, right here on TuneIn. Ian, it's a short week for the Steelers, getting set for Thursday night football against Carolina. Any sense if Le'Veon Bell is going to finally show up this week? Uh, I don't think it's going to be this week. He's not going to play before the Thursday night game. Um, what's crazy is the Steelers literally have no idea. They do not know if he's going to play. Uh, he's not know if he's going to show up. You know, he has to show up by November 13th. That is the CBA rules. He has to show up or else he can't play. And, look, we've all assumed he's going to show up and play. I'm sure he probably will. Uh, because if he doesn't, they can transition tag him next year. They can franchise tag him for the same price. They can do a lot of things. What no one has told me is he is definitively 100% playing this year, which is an unbelievable situation. Meanwhile, you know, they have James Conner, who – is putting up statistics that are every single bit uh, as good as Le'Veon Bell did. I mean, I, I just, there's no, I can't remember a situation like this in the NFL. I really can't. Yeah, each week we talk about how, how great the running game is for the Steelers uh, without Le'Veon Bell. So maybe he's, 
he's losing a little bit of that leverage. But again, uh, you talk about we talk about some of the teams that are on bye. You know, talking about the Colts, Cardinals, and Bengals, and and Eagles. Uh, Eagles get Golden Tate. How are they going to uh, put him into the mix and to make the Eagles a more potent uh, attack? Well, it's interesting because obviously Golden Tate's a receiver. Everybody knows that. But I actually think he's going to really help the run game, you know, because he's so good after the catch. He's kind of like Jarvis Landry was in Miami, um, where you can literally just turn and throw him the ball, toss him the ball, let him run after the catch, and act like a receiver or act like a running back. Like you can have an offensive line block as if it's a running play. I mean, you can use him to kind of help move the chains a little bit, keep drives going. And, you know, I mean, to incorporate a guy into your scheme midseason is hard. There's only so much you can do. So I really think they will keep it simple and just toss him the ball and let him go work. Um, you know, we had some – we really had some legitimate, real fun trades last week. Demarius uh, Thomas off to a really good start in, in with the Texans. That's a fun one. Uh, Golden Tate's going to figure prominently in the Eagles. That's a fun one. Rarely do we get a, an action-packed week like that as far as the trade deadline goes. Ian Rappaport of NFL Network is our guest. Be sure to listen to his podcast every week. Rap Sheet and Friends right here on TuneIn. And let's wrap it up with Sam Bradford. He's been released by the Cardinals, saving the team money. What do you think his future looks like? No need for a bake sale. Sam Bradford's made a lot of money in his NFL career. Sam Bradford has made $130 million in his career, which is absolutely incredible considering he's basically been an average quarterback, uh, but a very, very rich one. He has certainly won the business of football. So after the trade deadline, all players who are released go on waivers. That's going to happen for Bruce Irvin. It's not going to be Monday. It's going to be Tuesday. But that's going to happen for Bruce Irvin. And it's going to happen for Sam Bradford. So we will find out on Monday if he's claimed. And who claims him? I mean, there's the Buffalo Bills who have Josh Allen um, kind of nearing a return. Uh, but obviously Nathan Peterman did not play well again today. Do, they, do the Bills claim him? take on some of the contract and say, all right, this quarterback is going to make us viable. Does nobody claim him because the, the contract is too much and then he signs his free agent? I mean, they're, I, I, I honestly say, like, I really don't know. Um, rarely do you have a former start, a guy who started the season as a starting quarterback available on waivers in week 10 or whatever next week is. Um, that's going to be really interesting to watch. Ian, we appreciate the information. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and we'll chat with you next week here on the NFL on TuneIn. Look forward to it. Thanks, guys. This is NFL First and Gold, the podcast. Now let's focus on the matchup between the Lions and Vikings with Pete Bursich, game analyst for KFAN and the Minnesota Vikings Radio Network. Pleased to be joined by Pete Bursich, former Vikings linebacker, game analyst now for KFAN and the Minnesota Vikings Radio Network. Pete, we appreciate you taking the time. How about the defensive effort today? The Vikings were all over the Lions, sacking Matthew Stafford 10 times. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty amazing, and you know, they we've had our defensive struggles uh, early on in the year. I know uh, getting Everson Griffin back has helped. It was the second game back, uh, but Daniel Hunter just really stole the show today with uh, three and a half sacks and uh, a ball and a fumble recovery for a touchdown. I mean, uh, Stafford, the record he only been eight times in a, in a game is the most that he ever had been sacked, and then you look at all the defensive lines that the Minnesota Vikings have, and we're talking the Purple People Eaters, and back in the day with no, you know, with Noga, Millard, and Dolman, I mean, John Randall, uh, one of the greatest interior pass rushers of all time, 
never got to 10, and they got to 10 today. So it was a big day for the defensive line. Yeah, whenever a defense is impressive like that, 10 or more sacks, something has to happen on the back end also. How were the Vikings able to kind of, for the first time really, because they've struggled a little bit, giving up some plays, how were they able to kind of bring it all together from the back end, the two tremendous safeties, the corners, everyone kind of helping this team uh, kind of get these 10 sacks today? Well, they did a little bit of it on blitzing. Mackenzie Alexander is a young, uh, one of our younger players. He's playing nickel. Uh, does a really nice job uh, when he's called on to blitz. Uh, Harrison Smith, a uh, couple nice, he had a, a really nice play on a disguise and, you know, caused Stafford to hold on to the football a little longer. That caused another one. But, uh, you know, once you got, once you get about four or five on a guy, he has a tendency to not really want to stare down the field too long and, you know, start scrambling. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Xavier Rhodes hung in there tough. He was in and out. Uh, his ankle's still bothering him. Holton Hill. Uh, an undrafted guy came in and he's been playing a little bit the last couple of weeks. He's, you know, he's done a, a good job when called upon, but you know, without Anthony Barr, without Andrew Sandejo, you know, Anthony Harris stepping in and playing a little bit, uh, Jalen, Jaron curse coming in. I mean, we've, there've been a lot of different guys in the back end, but uh, yeah, they deserve credit as well. The linebacking crew deserves credit as well. Cause you know, Stafford just uh, didn't have a lot of options on some of those. Talking Minnesota football with Pete Bursich, game analyst for KFAN and the Vikings Radio Network. Pete, what does a healthy Dalvin Cook mean to this offense? He had the spectacular 70-yard run in this game. Well, Latavius Murray has, has done a, a really nice job, but you're looking at you know the, the other guy running the ball being Mike Boone, who's a rookie, he's done a, he's done a good job. Uh, but the explosiveness, I mean, we're, you know, we've been playing musical chairs at offensive line. Uh, Riley Reef getting back. You have Danny Isadora playing guard. Uh, Pat Elfline at center. Mike Remmers, you know, just, you know, and then uh, uh, Brian O'Neill, a rookie at right tackle. Um, but the ability that uh, you have a running back who can just take it to the second level has that kind of explosiveness. He's also a pretty good route runner and a pretty good receiver, so that's an added dimension. Uh, but we haven't seen him in a long time, you know, and it's just, it's just nice to have Dalvin cook back. He has the bye weekend this weekend and, you know, um, it, just, uh, another added weapon to this offense. Are the Minnesota faithful fans excited about what Kirk cousins have been able to do so far? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, he's, he's made a few mistakes as of late that have been uncharacteristic of him. Uh, but he always, you know, he's, he, he brought us back into a couple games. I mean, the, the tie that we had against Green Bay, I mean, he's done some, some really, really, uh, he's had some really amazing games, uh, manages the game well, uh, has made a couple mistakes the last few games as of late. Uh, so hopefully that's not a trend that, you know, that will continue. But, uh, you know, his leadership is, is really, is really showing up. And, you know, um, when the Vikings are balanced offensively, when we can run and throw the football and not become one-dimensional, uh, you know, it's a pretty pretty solid team. Final thought on the division. We know that Green Bay is always a dangerous team in Minnesota with the tie earlier this year. How about the Bears much improved at 5-3? and three? How rugged do you think the NFC North is going to be this year, Pete? Well, we'll find out here in the next couple of weeks. You know, the Vikings have a bye, then we play at Chicago. And then the next game will be at home uh, Sunday night, I believe, or Monday night. I can't remember which one. I think it's Sunday night against the Green Bay Packers. So uh, call me back in three weeks, and I'll let you know exactly, <laughs> you know, what the NFC North is going to look like. But um, 
uh, yeah, there's gonna it, the Chicago has not been a friendly city uh, for the Vikings over the past ten years, and you know it's going to be rough to go in there uh, try to get a win on a team that's definitely has some momentum, playing great defense, uh, and then uh, you know Green Bay, we'll we'll see how they do tonight, but they're always a threat, and uh, we'll have them at home. So um, the next couple weeks are really going to tell. Pete, we'll take you up on the offer because we like to spotlight the best teams in all of football. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today on the NFL on TuneIn. Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Next on NFL First and Gold, the podcast, let's break down the game between the Falcons and the Redskins with Super Bowl champion Rick Doc Walker, sideline analyst for the Team 980 Washington Redskins Radio Network. Always a pleasure to check in with the Super Bowl champion Rick Doc Walker, sideline analyst for the Team 980 Washington Redskins Radio Network. Doc, thanks for taking the time. What'd you take away from today's game? Well, Sarkeesian, uh, as a coordinator for the Falcons, a bye week, a brilliant plan, and superior execution by Matty Ice. And, um, you know, just a great group of receivers who executed at a very high level. Am I seeing Redskins-wise coverage bust, afraid to go man-to-man? No. What, am, what am I seeing here in the back end with this coverage for the Washington Redskins? No, not today. The burst, burst happened earlier. They had some communication uh, situations. Today you saw an offense that was executing at a superior level that was dominant on third down, and you just saw a better team execute. Talking Redskin football with Rick Doc Walker. Doc Alex Smith having another efficient season. What has he brought to this offense? Well, he's brought – he didn't turn the ball over except for the day the ball went out of Davis' hand. He has been very uh, smart, secure with the ball. We have not excelled. We're like at a four from one to ten in pass proficiency. And he's got a lot of musical cheers with his receivers, not the offensive line, but he's a veteran. And he hadn't panicked on it, but the, hopefully the best is yet to come. When you're talking Washington and you're talking Alex Smith, most would say he's going to take the safe pass, he's going to take the check down, you need the running game. Is this the type of team that can get into a shootout like they were in today and win, this foot, win these kinds of football games? Well, I think you already know the answer to that, and that is No. <laughs> If we don't, you know, we, the games we win, we we jump out first. We have to have a lead. We're like I said, if we're a four out of one to ten, and you answered your own question, we're nothing to brag about offensively yet. We've been able to hog the ball at times. AP's been fantastic, but this is nothing to where it has to be if they plan on being dominant. Doc, let's amplify what Adrian Peterson's been doing on his way to the Hall of Fame. Held in check today, nine carries, 17 yards. But overall, how impressed have you been by what Peterson has been doing at the age of 33? Well, you know, he's, he's a freakish athlete, so I don't think his age is relevant. Um, he, he's, he's, AP. he's AP. He's a gold jacket guy. I know he'd like to go out on the biggest stage. And in order to do that, this offense has got to figure out what fits him best. I think the same thing applies to the quarterback. We need to find out, in my opinion, what Alex feels best with, what Alex wants to do, and then switch to it immediately. I mean, Joe Gibbs went through transition from San Diego to Washington with us, and he decided, you know, guess what? I don't have Jordan and Winslow and Fouts and all these guys. So he took what we brought to it, changed the style, and the rest is history. 
Redskins are a proud franchise, and as you know, battled the Cowboys in the 90s for Super Bowls. Last year, seeing the Philadelphia Eagles win the Super Bowl. Right now, long range for the season, where do you think the Washington Redskins will fit in the NFC East? Well, I'm not a predictor. I mean, I'm a game-to-game guy, and right now we we got to fix a couple of things. I think the mix is there. Philly, to me, is still theirs until someone takes it from them. And there's been so many inconsistencies with every team you've mentioned that I think I like the position we're in. I'd rather be where we are than they are. But it don't mean squat if we don't beat Tampa next year and fix a couple of things and keep getting better. Doc, we know it's a long broadcast day for you, so we appreciate you taking the time to join us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Hey, I always got time to talk ball, man. And we're always here. Thank you, Rick. We'll chat with you soon. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. We continue on NFL First and Goal, the podcast. Now let's break down the divisional game between the Jets and Dolphins with Chris Fisher from NBC6 TV in Miami. Pleased to be joined by Chris Fisher from NBC6 Television in Miami. Chris, let's start with the story that was dominating the coverage heading into the matchup, the condition of the field after Duke and Miami played in the rain last night. How did the field hold up today? I think that was quite overstated. The field looked fantastic. The grounds crew worked throughout the course of the night. They did rip up big portions of it between the 30s and 40s on each side of the respective fields. But it looked phenomenal. It held up today, and you couldn't ask for anything more after the big downpour they had during the Hurricanes game last night where it looked almost going into the day like it would be unplayable. As a defender, I love the elements, the field being bad, the snow, the rain. It gave you an opportunity to really square down and buckle down on offenses. Talk to us a little bit about today, the struggles of Sam Darnold. Oh, four interceptions by the rookie today. The Dolphins were able to get pressure on the young Jets quarterback, and that's something they haven't been able to do the last two weeks. We're talking about a Dolphins defense that had to go back to the drawing board with defensive coordinator Matt Burke and head coach Adam Gase after the Thursday night loss. In the last two games, they've allowed 74 points. Today, allowing just a six to the Jets and Darno. They got after him with four sacks. They had eight QB hits, eight pass defenses, and those four critical interceptions, including the rookie, Jerome Baker, taking one to the house with a pick six. They just had Darnold rattled all day long, and this is something the Dolphins surely needed considering the last two showings by their defense. Spotlighting the Dolphins. They beat the Jets in a divisional game today. Chris Fisher from NBC6 Television in South Florida is our guest. Chris, we're not doctors, but you follow the team closely. Any timetable for Ryan Tannehill to return to the starting lineup? We still don't know because it was revealed last week it's a capsule injury, which is something a medical term more outside of the realm that we're used to hearing before in football where it locks in the membrane of the shoulder. So they don't know how long this will be. It's a soreness issue for Ryan Tannehill. He doesn't believe he can get the same power behind the ball when he throws it. He's been able to throw lightly out at practice occasionally, but he's been working mostly with a tennis ball and a nerf football. He hasn't been able to go for a full practice in a long time, and we don't know when he could possibly return. So right now this is Brock Osweiler's team for better or worse, and, and today was clearly for worse, even though the Finns were able to get the win. And, and how does the team locker room feel about uh, Brock Osweiler? Honestly, I don't think they care either way. Because if you look at the, the statistics of Brock Osweiler and Ryan Tannehill, they are mirrors of each other. 
Adam Gates, remember, was brought into Miami to be a quarterback whisperer, a quarterback guru, working with Peyton Manning, have a fantastic season with Jay Cutler in Chicago. But we haven't really seen it yet. It's just been 260 yards passing and a 75 quarterback rating and, and you know, maybe two touchdowns in a ball game. It's just an average. And until we see a, a standout guy, uh, here's one for you. Joe Namath and Dan Marino were on the sidelines this week. Peyton Manning and Marino were on the sidelines for the last home game. We've seen much better talent walking up and down the sidelines. <laughs> even fans questioning, can we suit these guys up? Because we're tired of seeing Tannehill and Brock Osweiler. And Bob Greasy was in the booth calling the game for the Dolphins Absolutely. Radio Network. Let's wrap it up with the big picture and presume the Patriots win the division again. After all, they've won the AFC East nine consecutive years. Miami now at 5-4. and four. Chris, do you think they're a legitimate wildcard contender? Not at this point. Not until they get healthy. The injury report each week now, since week six, has been coming out with 17, 18, 19 guys on it. Numbers I've never seen before. We're talking 33% of the roster, and they lost even more guys today. It is a hodgepodge situation, next man up mentality, like you always hear throughout the NFL. But for the Dolphins, it literally is, as as Cam Wake said, said today, who's next? Because they just don't know who's coming up next to step onto the field and who's going down next to injury. So at this point, I would rule them out as a wild-card contender unless they can put together some wins. Remember, they play Minnesota, Green Bay, and another one against the Patriots. Chris, we appreciate the insights. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us again today on Always the NFL coming. on TuneIn. Always. Thank you. As we continue on NFL First and Gold, the podcast, let's take you round the league with Jason Cole, editor-in-chief of Fansided.com. Now let's take you around the league with a good friend of the NFL on TuneIn. It's Jason Cole, editor-in-chief, fansided.com. Jason, congratulations on the new opportunity. What would you take away from the Saints' victory over the Rams? I'll say this. It's interesting because the, the number one seed in the NFC could be determined by a questionable call on a fake goal, right? Because the hecker play the Rams are about to take a lot of momentum, whether they kick the field goal or whether they just go for it and get the first down. And he looks like he got that first down, and they ruled that he didn't. And immediately after that, the Saints get control of the game, and you know they go 28-14, and the Rams are playing from behind the whole time. And I think momentum shifts. As this thing plays out with the Saints using this game to get home field advantage in the NFC Championship game, that game in January becomes a whole lot harder potentially for the Rams. Yeah, so well, that one that one game, that one play, I should say, has a huge impact on the potentially on the entire season. Yeah, for sure. I Saints played a pretty perfect football game today. I mean, ran the football effectively. Uh, Mike Thomas was just outstanding today. Do you see the Rams uh, being better when they add a couple of players who have been injured? Well, I mean, you got a key. But I mean, look, Eric, I don't know how to explain corner play to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, but you get a key back. Um, that, that, that he's a guy who can run with Mike Thomas. I mean, if nothing else, he may not be able to run exactly with him at this age, but he can fight him. Right. I mean, that's 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 a key to Leeds' game. So I think that you can change this game a lot if you get healthy with those guys. I mean, Marcus Peters, you know, he's okay, but 
he's not physical enough to play with Mike Thomas. So I think that Mike Thomas, you know, wears him out. It's a matter of, again, if you can get a key to lead back, this potentially changes the game quite a bit, in my view. Taking you across the league with Jason Cole, editor-in-chief of Fansided.com. Jason, Pittsburgh was victorious on the road in Baltimore. The Ravens now have lost three straight games, go back to their Super Bowl win over the 49ers. Baltimore is precisely a 500-football team. What do you make of reports that John Harbaugh may not have too much job security moving forward? Well, he didn't have a lot of job security at the end of last year. I mean, Steve Bashotti, the owner at his end-of-the-year press conference, said he thought about firing him last year. Now, I'm a little perplexed by that because I think that that team gets more mileage out of their offensive talent than most others in this league. Because I just, you know, we talk about Crabtree and some of the other guys they brought in. Those guys played well in the first four games. But there's, you know, there's not a lot to that team that's explosive. And that includes Joe Flacco. I mean, there was an, you know, they had a pretty good indictment of Joe Flacco himself by taking Lamar Jackson in the draft. So, who are you supposed to hold accountable for the fact that this team is not playing all that well? Is it the fact that they don't have a lot of talent or is it the head coach? And I think it's a lack of talent. Look, I love Ozzie Newsom and everything they did up until he retired, but picking offensive players, especially skill position players, not his greatest, you know, that's not his long suit. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> uh, help me make the case that the Chargers are the team behind the Patriots and the Chiefs to really maybe upset one of those two teams? Uh, I think it's a pretty easy case. I mean, I, that you know they've got three good receivers. Not great. Not one of them has blazing speed, okay? And they're just kind of you know doing a Band-Aid routine at tight end, so they miss Hunter Henry. But Melvin Gordon, awesome offensive line, relatively healthy, especially compared to the rest of the league. That quarterback is really experienced. To me, there is, they're you know, a half step behind. Now you add Joey Bozo to that team, now we're getting serious, right? Yep. We're talking about guys who can change the game you know, with a play or two here or there. So I think that they're right there in terms of being able, being able to upset somebody being able to take on one of those top two teams. I don't think there's any question in my mind, especially because neither of those other two teams are particularly good on offense. I mean, not on offense, I mean, on defense. Right. So I don't think that they can stop the Chargers very well. And you get into a score fest, you know, the Chargers have a chance. Now, the Chargers haven't necessarily put up a ton of points lately, especially, like, you know, not today. But I think they're capable of doing it, um, as well as just – Again, just a step behind those other teams. You would say that the Chiefs have them on speed and um, probably a tight end. And likewise, uh, you know, New England has them overall because of the quarterback and because of Gronkowski and some of their depth at wide receiver. We are recapping this NFL Sunday with Jason Cole from Fansided.com. Jason, last one for me. Houston outlasted Denver to win at 19-17, and after their 0-3 start, the Texans now have won six consecutive games. Where would you put them in the balance of power among AFC teams? I think they're right behind the Chargers. And, you know, you have a debate between those two, which one you like better. Um, you know, my thing is, 
what is Deshaun Watson or what do they allow Deshaun Watson to be on a week-to-week basis? Because there are moments when he's just explosive. And there are other moments where he looks, you know, kind of league average, sort of mundane. And I think that some of that has to do with they make him, I think they put a lot on his plate mentally. And I'm not saying he's not a smart kid. I think he's a really smart kid. But there are things that you ask a quarterback to do that get him out of what his natural rhythm is and the way that he likes to play all the time. And they're doing that because they're teaching him to be an NFL-style quarterback instead of being a wide-open college quarterback. So there's this transition he's going through, and it's a little bit rough sometimes. Jason, as always, we appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much for passing along the information, and congratulations on making the move to fansided.com. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Be good. Let's close out the podcast with the intersection of football and physics. It's time for the Playing with Science Checkdown, where science and sports collide. For that, we're pleased to be joined by our good friends, Dr. Eric Goff and Gary O'Reilly. Fellas, was Eugene Robinson embellishing? Was that much yardage actually covered on the play? Well, Professor, looks like another play in desperate need of a GPS, but I'm guessing you were able to go straight to the science. Uh, and would you like to share it with us? Take it away, Professor. Sure. This play was filled with lots of great physics. The Panthers started the play with DJ Moore lined up to the far left and Curtis Samuel lined up to the far right. Behind Cam Newton were running backs Alexander Armagh and Christian McCaffrey. When Newton took the snap under center, Armagh hit the left side of the line to block. Newton faked a handoff to McCaffrey while the two wide receivers were racing to the backfield. Newton then tossed the ball to Moore, who then tossed it to Samuel. Curtis Samuel received the second toss in the center of the field, and his momentum carried him to about the Bucks' 46-yard line. He then turned on the Jets and raced down toward the left sideline. After he passed the 20-yard line, he began a series of three incredible cuts that kept him from getting tackled. His first cut hard was to the right, then to his left, and then a great cut to his right, which took took the legs right out from under Buck's outside linebacker, Levante David. Samuel started the play lined up on the right between the numbers at the 35-yard line. He looped all the way across the field to his left and then ran all the way back to the right side of the field before finally scoring 14.2 seconds after the play began. He ran about 103 yards on the play. Though his average speed was 14.8 miles per hour, he had a peak speed of about 18 miles per hour. Hard, quick cuts require a lot of force. I estimate that during one of his cuts, the ground exerted a peak force on his leg of about 900 pounds. That's four and a half times Samuel's weight. It's no wonder, Gary, that running backs have so many ACL injuries. Thank you, Professor. Wow, 900 pounds of force through Curtis Samuel's knees. That's incredible, which is basically what you could say about that play because just about every Panthers offensive player played a role in getting that ball over the line. It was a brilliant individual effort, but a brilliant team effort too. From all of us at Playing With Science, thank you. Have a great Sunday. I'll hand you straight back to the guys in the studio. Gentlemen, tremendous insights as always. We look forward to chatting with you next Sunday. It was the Playing With Science Checkdown. All free, only on TuneIn.